Randy Tobler, Truth Warrior, Woke Destroyer. On News Talk STL. Watch us on our live stream using Rumble, Facebook, and Twitter. This is Larry Connors. Right now, you're listening to Dr. Randy Tobler. Informative, engaging, enjoy. And I invite you to listen to the Larry Connors USA Daily Report Monday through Friday at 6. Should should everyone get an attorney? That's what I heard in your testimony. Anyone that comes to our border, they should get an attorney. Is that right? So legal representation has been shown to greatly improve both the fairness of the system and the efficiency. If you have a lawyer... So the American taxpayers should pay for the lawyers also. Not only should they pay for the hospitals, not only should they pay for the schools, not only should they pay the SNAP benefits, they should also pay for the lawyers to allow them as, as people from outside the United States to be able to come into America. And now we talk with Andrew Art Arthur, who's a resident fellow in law and policy and a good friend of ours at the Center for Immigration Studies. How you doing, Art? That was amazing back and forth, wasn't it? Yeah, and you know, it's funny, Randy, because that's an argument that I hear a lot. Is You know, I used to be an immigration judge. I had a lot of cases in which people had lawyers, good lawyers. Not a lot of uh, cases in which individuals represented themselves. And I was able to, uh, you know, satisfy due process and attempt to do justice in each of those cases. So, yeah, it is an amazing back and forth. And it is one of those things that really underscores the huge costs that the American people are going to be expected to pay thanks to the Biden administration's migrant policies. We have a lot to talk about. I've been uh, keeping up with your prolific um, blogs and and uh, and writings on uh, cis.org. You've got a water-cooled pen this last week or so. Um, let's start with the <laughs> Custom and Border Patrol's uh, border numbers. It appears as though they've been late. I wasn't able to see if last evening, because you wrote about how they tend to release the bad news on a weekend dump. And we were expecting more bad news, uh, you know, in the December numbers coming out, should have been out a week ago. Have they released those yet, December's numbers? Yeah, no, I haven't seen the numbers yet. Uh, I, I will be honest with you, I've been traveling to Baltimore to the Ravens game. But I checked uh, late yesterday, they hadn't come out. And, uh, you know, as soon as they do come out, I will write them up and explain them to you and all your listeners uh, on my blog. Because, you know, this is one of those things that the American people need to understand. And, you know, in that blog that you talk about, I talk about the, the weekend news dumps that, uh, that the Biden administration has engaged in in order to hide bad border news. And, you know, as I know, probably the most egregious news dump was the one during uh, the early voting period for the 2022 midterm elections. Those ones came out on a Friday night at 11 o'clock after early voting had already begun in 14 states, including battleground states. So, you know, it's there is a political aspect to this. There shouldn't be. This should be a straightforward uh, ministerial function of CBP. But unfortunately, it looks like it's been perverted by politics. We're talking with Andrew Art Arthur from the Center for Immigration Studies, CIS.org. Um, and, you know, I... Well, I'm going to I don't even know if I need a tinfoil hat because I think it's reality art. But, you know, I that old we were talking earlier about manipulating the various um, policy issues and suddenly doing a 180 in an election season. We're seeing Joe Biden involve America in more and more kinetic action over in the Red Sea and Yemen. And who knows where is to follow? That reminds me of the old wag the dog movie. Are we seeing a bit of a wag the dog effort Um when it comes to immigration policy, suddenly it's being reported that in the last couple of weeks, uh, border encounters are down, cro- illegal crossings down. They've convinced Mexico all of a sudden 
after three years of just wanton, uh, you know, lack of enforcement of the rules down there, suddenly it seems like things have cut down a lot compared to previously. Do you think, um, is that a political move or why? Yeah, Brandy, it's interesting that uh, you bring that up because, you know, Mexicans a sovereign country. We all appreciate that. And yet President Trump was able to use uh, U.S. Uh, diplomatic policy and U.S. economic might to convince the Mexicans to do things that helped us to secure our southwest border. Of course, they sent their National Guard down to their southern border to stop people who were crossing over from Guatemala and every country south of there. They also agreed to take back and to provide um uh, support for all of those 62,000 aliens that were returned to Mexico under the Migrant Protection Protocols, better known as Remain in Mexico. It, but as soon as Joe Biden took office, the Mexicans uh, either thought that they had a patsy or the Biden administration decided to just simply take a much more hands-off attitude with respect to the Mexicans. And for three years, they really haven't done anything uh, significant to stop the vast majority of people coming through. Now, to be fair, they have actually apprehended and deported a pretty fair number of people from their own country, but far from all of them. And, you know, in many instances, right at the border, they're helping to facilitate the entry of those individuals. Fast forward to a meeting on December 27th with Anthony Blinken, Alejandro Mayorkas, and the president of Mexico, Andres uh, Manuel Lopez Obrador, And, you know, they came out of that with the statement that said, oh, we're going to push for amnesty and, you know, we're going to do all these other things. None of them talked about securing the border. But now we actually do see the Mexican government taking steps, using its forces to actually return people south. So they'll apprehend them up in the north and then they'll send them down south to Tapachula, down to the uh, Guatemalan border, where they'll detain them and try to push them out of Mexico. It raises the question, Randy, why exactly there's been this change in policy by the Mexicans. And the best thing that I can tell you is that the Biden administration has allowed about 50,000 illegal Mexicans to enter the United States through the ports of entry who have used its CBP-14 app. I think that that is the trade-off that the uh, Biden government has cut with the Mexican government to actually get the Mexican government to do something. Now, of course, that's going to cost us money. you know, to do that. And there's probably some, you know, financial support that's going to the Mexican government as well. We just don't know about that, but we will be looking for it. So I have to ask you about, since you, you've been an immigration judge and, and the, and the rule of law is the rule of law. And, you know, I, I would assume a judge is going to interpret the existing statutes the way they need to be interpreted in every given case. Is it true which what I think Mayorkas and others imply is that when someone shows up, an able-bodied 25-year-old single male shows up from Central America, from Mexico, and turns themselves in to border patrol agents and says, I'm here seeking asylum. Is there an obligation or is there not for them to be given a ticket to a court hearing with someone like Art Arthur? Or is there another sure. mechanism? I thought during the Trump administration, we these people were being told, forget about it. You get out of here. Go back across the border. I, what What is the truth? Well, that was actually the essence of remaining in Mexico. Sure, those people had a right uh, to an asylum hearing, but they had to wait in Mexico uh, you know, for that asylum hearing. And not surprisingly, Randy, most of them decided to just go home when they knew that they weren't going to be able to live and work in the United States for five years that it took to actually see an immigration judge. 
The other thing is the law requires that all of those people be detained. They've been detained from the moment that they're apprehended until the moment that they're either granted asylum or removed. The Biden administration has refused to do that. In fact, I ran the numbers and, you know, there's a, a big transparency issue, as those news dumps suggest from the Biden administration. But it appears that 88.5 percent of all illegal aliens who come, you know, over that border are released into the United States, which is the reason why so many other people are coming. They know that now is the time for them to get into this country, because if they get in, they're going to be here indefinitely, if not forever. Okay, and so. This is, I mean, this is really an impeachable offense. I mean, is there any other way to construct this? I mean, the guy, he has clear orders to keep people away from getting in. It's like, do you want a perimeter defense for the termites? Or do you want to have, you know, wait till they eat up your, you know, your, your, your beams in your home? And, oh, then we better do something about it. I mean, we have a mechanism. Donald Trump had a mechanism in place. He didn't allow mass parole, which is another thing you and I have talked about, which I think is still ongoing, right? Which then does make them legal, doesn't it, in a sense? So all this could be undone. They They choose to ignore it. So is there any reason that Mayorkas shouldn't be impeached? Well, no, not really. And honestly, Randy, you touched on a key point. The Supreme Court has had a couple of cases come before it that were brought by the states to force the Biden administration to actually enforce the immigration laws. But the uh, but the uh, the the courts have said, no, that's up to the political branches. That's not an issue for us to resolve. Justice Alito, in the most recent of those decisions, said this is ridiculous. He was in dissent. He said this is ridiculous that impeachment should be the only option left on the table when the government won't enforce the law. But Alito made it clear that impeachment is an appropriate uh, vehicle for Congress to use to actually force Mayorkas to enforce the law. He hasn't enforced the law. This threat's been on the table. And in fact, the impeachment proceedings that are going on right now are going on in the House Homeland Security because when the impeachment resolution was on the floor of the House, Democrats voted to send it back to the House Homeland Security Committee for exactly what they're doing. So, yeah, I mean, The impeachment process is appropriate. I leave it up to Congress to determine whether he should be impeached. I think the American people are, you know, by and large, pretty clear about where they stand on the issue. Uh, But, yeah, that's an ongoing process with the Congress right now. All right. I have to get before we let you go, I have to get your thoughts about what some have termed a constitutional crisis at the Texas border, particularly the Eagle Pass, where we understand Greg Abbott is circumventing federal officials patrolling of that area. I mean, he's replaced <laughs> federal ICE officials. I, maybe is that CBP too with with Texas law enforcement? I mean, that's what's being reported. If is that what's going on? And is does that smell right to you? I mean, it it sounds right ideologically, but it, what does it mean constitutionally from your perspective? So, yeah, this is uh, this is an ongoing case. It's been ongoing since September. Uh, when Title 42 ended, the state of Texas, under its Operation Lone Star State effort, started putting up concertina wire at the southwest border to block people from, you know, just crossing the Rio Grande and crossing into the United States. That's fine for CBP in almost, you know, all of that 1,254-mile border between Texas and Mexico, but not in 29 miles of it in Maverick County, uh, Texas, including Eagle Pass. They started cutting it. They started tearing it out of the ground so that they could let migrants in. 
this all went to court. Uh, the Fifth Circuit is, is uh, currently considering it. But in the interim, uh, Texas sees control of Shelby Park, which is a municipal park right on the Rio Grande in, in the city of Eagle Pass, so that they could block off uh, migrants from using that very active zone to uh, come into the United States. And, yeah, they prevented uh, CBP from coming in. But according to the state of Texas, the CBP, you know, needs to get down to the river. They'll let them come down to the river. But, you know, according to filings by the state of Texas, not only aren't they crossing through, but they stopped patrolling the river right in front of Shelby Park. And so there was a drowning there. It was reported to Texas about an hour after it had occurred. It was across the river. The, tech, the Mexican officials took care of it, um, you know, with respect to their survivors, with respect to the recovery effort. But, you know, this is now being used by the press to say, look, Texas is allowing people to die. That's, that's just not true. None of that is true from anything about any of the filings in that case. But it's been very much twisted around so that people think that is true. Do, do the feds have an action there to say to Greg Abbott, hey, this is, I mean, it's it's ironic, isn't it? How can the feds now, when they've been blatantly ignoring enforcement uh, 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 obligations, how can they now, when Abbott's doing what the feds wouldn't do, how can the feds come in and say, as the Biden administration is trying to do, at least rhetorically, and I think I think there's maybe legal action going on, how can they say, well, let us do the job we weren't doing? I mean, it doesn't look good optically, and it certainly doesn't make sense uh, politically, does it? Either way. Yeah, it does. It doesn't. And, you know, the only way that there's, you know, they're able to spin this politically is by, you know, not telling the full truth. The full truth is that Texas is actually securing that section of the border uh, down in Eagle Pass and that they are preventing people from coming across. You know, all of this other stuff is just eyewash and show. So, you know, ignore that. But, yeah, this is wrapped up in that concertina wire case. It's a case called Texas versus DHS that is actually currently at the Supreme Court. Randy, the the Biden administration is going to the Supreme Court arguing that it should be allowed to tear up concertina wire that belongs to the state of Texas. It's exceptional. I'm sure the justices are beside themselves. This is crazy. This is just crazy. I mean, I think this is going to, again, float to the top of the list in terms of people's priorities in these United States of America, just like it did in 2016. I mean, everyone from liberal city mayors to rural, uh, you know, citizens where their their land is being trampled down on the border and, and pretty soon across America. Um, and I'm, I'm just glad that I'm just glad this is floating to the top. This is this is just not tolerable. And thank you for unpacking so many issues and putting it together so clearly for us. I would hope that folks will continue to read your and your colleagues' uh, brilliant essays and fact-based analysis on CIS.org, Center for Immigration Studies, CIS.org. Art Arthur, thank you very, very much for being with me on this Saturday morning. Randy, thank you. It's a pleasure for, uh, as always, and my best to you and all your listeners. All right. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. All right. There he is. There he is. That lays it out there. I mean, this is like case closed, slam dunk, bam, it's over. There is no other cogent argument. Joe Biden is guilty of dereliction of duty. Mayorkas needs to be impeached immediately. The sovereignty of this country is under threat directly. And we just have to say no, period. No. When we come back, Tim Jones joins us and we're going to get his take. I don't know if he heard the Bill Eigel interview. We'll see if he did, but we can recap it if he didn't. 
as we uh, head uh, along on the, the show this morning. It's 821. You're listening to 1019 News Talk STL, The Tober Show. Along with Jerome, I'm Randy. Glad you're here. Good morning, everybody. Tony Colombo and Katie Fitzpatrick here. Thanks for listening to the Randy Tobler Show here on News Talk STL. And don't forget to join us every weekday at 2 p.m. for Colombo and Katie. Also, keep it here for my Saturday morning show, the Bluff City Outdoors Show, today at 11. Now, back to Dr. Randy Tobler. Love you, Doc. <laughs> we love you, too, Tony and Katie. Uh, Tim Jones joins us now from the Tim Jones and Chris Harp Show here on News Talk STL daily from 4 to 6 p.m., to keep your evening going bright and strong in a very conservative way. Tim, thanks for joining me, brother. Hey, good morning, Randy. How you doing this morning? Man, I'm fired up. I'm telling you, we had a we had some fireworks crackling uh, last hour when uh, when Bill Eigel joined me. I mean, we played a little uh, back and forth between he and uh, and Cindy O'Laughlin on the Senate floor on Thursday. Got quite heated. And, um, I, you know, I was asking him, man, can't we get along and big hug? And he says, well, I, we just want to get things done. And Cindy, you know, not bringing things to the floor. I, I, what's your analysis on what's going on in the Missouri Senate? And we're going to expand, of course, this conversation to the national scene, too. But let's start there. Andy, the problem in Missouri is, and I can tell you, I've now got 20 years, nearly 20 years of institutional memory, having served in the legislature watching the legislature, working around the legislature and with the legislature. I handle several really key projects right now in the uh, liberty and freedom world of, uh, of politics and public policy. I, I work with uh, Americans for Tax Reform and Grover Norquist. I work with the American Legislative Exchange, uh, uh, American Legislative Exchange, which is ALEC, which is a trade association for conservative legislators and I just picked up a new project, as you know. I'm the state director for the Missouri Freedom Caucus under the State Freedom Caucus Network, affiliated with the U.S. House Freedom Caucus and our own uh, Congressman Eric Burleson, who's one of the freshest new freedom fighters in the U.S. House. And so, Randy, I've, I've, I can tell you that, that uh, and, and this is my honest analysis, the first decade or so that Republicans were in charge in Missouri for the first time in 60 years, back in the early 2000s, they were motivated every year with their leadership teams to reform government. That's what Republicans are supposed to do, right? That's what Reagan taught us all with the Reagan revolution. That's what Donald Trump put on steroids, that government's broken and Republicans shouldn't make it bigger. You know, Republicans aren't any better at making government bigger than Democrats. In fact, they often, you know, do it worse because it's, it's not, it's not in our, in our bailiwick. It's not in our conscience. And then Randy, for the second, for the second decade, you know, between like, you know, up until, uh, the, you know, the early 2020s and now into the present, I, I firmly believe that the Republicans in Jefferson City, the leadership, the leadership class, they've really lost their way, Randy. They've stopped reforming government. They've 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 put the budget on on rocket boosters that, you know, would make Elon Musk blush. I mean, when I left when I left in 2015, our state budget was around twenty seven billion dollars all in. It's now over $52 billion. That's incredible. That's beyond the cost of Bidenflation, right? It's been, I don't know how our budget got this big. I don't know how Republicans let it get that big. And, and you know, Randy, you know, what, what, what Bill Eigel and the Missouri Freedom Caucus and all the members there and, and, the, and the Missouri Freedom Caucus adjacent folks want to do is return the Missouri Republican Party that's, that's, that's governing in the Capitol back to a conservative party. It's not. I'm telling you, there, there is a center-left, a center-left governance structure 
leading Missouri right now. And uh, they've, they've allowed personality to trump public policy. And to prove my point, I don't need to throw names. I just got to you know show people their records. And I, I, I've known Cindy O'Loughlin, the majority leader, a very long time. But my contention is that the Cindy O'Loughlin that I knew 10 years ago would be extremely infuriated at the Cindy O'Loughlin of today. Uh, during the first session or so, uh, first couple of years up in Jefferson City, she had a really solid uh, CPAC score, the American Conservative Union, really good club for growth score. These are the groups that that watch the legislators as independently, you know, grading institutions. And and she was always in the upper 90s. Her her lifetime conservative score now is in the 60 percentile for a lot of these. And I don't believe that's because she's changed. She's let Jefferson City change her. And my feelings are even more strong when it comes to the current Senate president, Caleb Rowden. I do not believe he's a conservative. I do not believe he's governing a conservative way. I've known him a very long time. He has consistently uh, not been honest with myself. There was an instance when I was speaker where he flat out lied to me. And I believe he's done that throughout his entire career. And so these are folks, Randy, that would, that would rather, they would rather let uh, certain conservative personalities uh, drive them nuts and aggravate them and force them to call other people names than to move good public policy forward. You know, why won't they pass tax cuts? Why won't they pass uh, education reform? Why won't they fix our incredibly broken, hijacked initiative petition process? Why won't they get ESG out of our, our corporate and our banking systems? These were all priorities that Caleb Rowden and the Speaker of the House said they were going to work on last year. They had seven priorities. I interviewed them several times on this. They got one thing across the finish line, and only one, with a conservative, with a well, with a Republican supermajority, and that was the Safe Act to prevent uh, kids being mutilated by the trans cult and to keep dudes out of girls' sports. But even with that, they let the swamp interfere with their core convictions, and they put a four-year sunset on that bill. You know, uh, the Senate President Caleb Rowden made sure that that four-year sunset went on. So in four years, it's going to be okay to go back to mutilating kids, lopping off otherwise healthy body parts, and, you know, letting kids be confused about their 30,000 pronouns. I just, I don't, I don't understand. Randy, what it comes down to is I don't understand what's going on in the leadership levels in Jefferson City. This is not the leadership team's that I work with and served under. Sure, do we have our arguments? Do we always want to push the envelope? Maybe somebody wasn't doing that's the other thing, but we used to come into every session with a conservative agenda. The House always said, we're going to do these three to four things. The Senate always said, we're going to do these three to four things. We'd work towards those things. We'd push them as far as we could. And then on the last day of session, if those things weren't, uh, in the last few days of session, if those things were not across the finish line, then we moved the previous question in the Senate we got those through. We didn't sit around and fight with fellow Republicans. So I think there's a million reasons why this has gone completely off the rails. But, Randy, leadership cannot continue to try to pass the buck in this state. It is not anybody's fault except theirs. They're the leaders. They're supposed to be the ones moving these things forward. And they should not let petty personality conflicts get in the way of good public policy. All right. Well, let's that. OK, that's a that's a great exposition of the Freedom Caucus position. And it sounds philosophically pure honorable, noble, where I think everyone would want to go. And I would assume that Cindy O'Loughlin, who I hope to get on the air next week, I'm going to offer that chance because she's a friend of mine, my former state senator when I lived in Northeast Missouri. Um, I'm going to get her on. I want to have her answer this. But here's, here's, I guess, if I may, before that, that interview happens, here's what I hear in the background from people who I respect. 
good Christian people who want to protect life as much as you and I, who want education choice as much as you and I, uh, is, is it possible that procedurally, unless they get the votes together and the agreement not to filibuster, get a filibuster from the other side, that it's nice to float these things and put them on the floor, but they're not going to pass until we get some kind of agreement not to shoot them in the butt from the Democrats. Isn't it possible that the Democrats could filibuster every one of these things and we would end up not getting what we wanted? Or is that procedurally, um, uh, you know, false, false premise? Yeah, I think I think it's a false premise, Randy, and I've got a perfect example for you. If leadership was really intent on passing conservative priority bills, then they would be flooding the zone with the conservative priority bills, right? Everything that's reflected in the Missouri Republican Party platform, right? All of these items that we've talked about, they're in our platform. So if you don't like these items, then you don't like the platform, which means maybe you shouldn't be in the Republican Party. And I've got a perfect example for you, Randy, this year. Last year, and for I think several years before that, the leadership teams in the House and Senate agreed that we needed to do something to address what I mentioned earlier, the initiative petition process, right? Yes. What's yes. happened to our initiative petition process is for the for the past several cycles, it has been hijacked by out-of-state, extremely far-left-wing interests who are coming in with deceptive, and I'll stand by that, completely deceptive ballot propositions to do things that the people have elected our representatives and senators not to do, right? Like for, for 12 to 15 years, our Republicans ran on a platform that they would stop Obama-Biden Medicaid expansion. Everybody ran on that, and everybody was elected on that. So then they brought in a giant, multi-million-dollar out-of-state effort to expand Medicaid expansion. It was a very deceptive ballot proposition, and of course, it it barely passed. But so that was an end runaround. They're going to do it with abortion. They're, they've done it with minimum wage increases. They, they did it with hijacking our redistricting process with Clean Missouri, which they never said that that was in Clean Missouri. And then, thankfully, the legislature was able to reverse that. So this has been happening on every single issue, cycle in and cycle out. And so what has been the response? Well, the grassroots and the voters and the party here in Missouri, the Republican Party, have said, we need to reform this process. We're not going to take it away. We're not going to destroy it. We're not going to remove it. It needs to be reformed so a concurrent majority of the state, not just 50% plus one, but a 50% plus one plus a concurrent majority of the state, like a, like a concurrent majority of all the House districts or a concurrent majority of all the Senate districts. That way, the huge urban centers, the populist, the leftist populist urban centers of St. Louis and Kansas City don't continue to undo all the things that the legislature has done for the last 20 plus years. And so the leaders agreed, yes, that's a priority. Last year, they did. They made a hard push to get that done. I will give them credit for the effort, but I will give them an F for the execution because the the bill that would have that was the proposal that the legislature agreed on, whether you whether you liked it or not, it went through the entire process. It was on Cindy O'Loughlin's calendar on the last few days of session, and she did not bring that vote up that bill up for a final vote. She had plenty of legislative tools that she could have done that with. This year. So here's what's even worse. So, okay, so it failed, right? So, Randy, wouldn't you think that would still be a priority for this year? It is for the voters, Republican voters. It is for the grassroots. It is for a huge swath of the elected representatives and senators. 
three weeks of session have passed. We are entering our fourth week of session next week. And as of Thursday, which would have been the last day this week, Caleb Rowden, the Senate president, he hadn't even referred a single bill to address that issue in the Senate. There's like six, seven, or eight of them on file. He hadn't referred a single bill. And in some of the uh, in some of the back and forth, I listened to a lot of the debate. There was an 11-hour filibuster on Thursday. I listened to a lot of it. He was asked about his priorities for the session. He never mentioned initiative petition reform. And he's now making comments to suggest that it's not. How did, how did the number one priority for the Republican Party suddenly become not a priority at all for the Senate leadership. That's the failure of leadership. That's where the swamp is now governing in Jefferson City. Well, but but again, to get back to the initial question, Tim, I mean, a lot of us are not that familiar with every rule and, as you say, the legislative tools to get things done. Okay, so there's a there's a supermajority, but do the let's say that what would have happened would have been what you would have hoped it happened, and that would have been. They put the IP reform uh, bill, uh, you know, on, on uh, what would generally be an acceptable bill to, to both sides of the Republican uh, conference now. And uh, they put that on the floor. Could the Democrats have thwarted it? And therefore, it would have been a moot point to put it on the bill on the floor because it couldn't pass. Well, Randy, they're not even moving a, it. They're not even the Democrat filibuster. Yeah, but Republican leadership in the Senate is not even moving the bills, Randy. And now you've lost almost the first month of session. So it's not a priority for them, but it's a priority for everybody else in the state. And other things are not their priorities. What my point is, Randy, this has been happening every year. Of course, Democrats, of course, Democrats don't want Republican bills to pass. Does that mean that Senate leadership then just sits back and doesn't move any Republican bills? Because that's what they're not doing. What I said earlier was in the Senate, you have to flood the zone early with all of the priorities, right? That tax cuts should be a priority. Education reform should be a priority. Uh, 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 Pushing back against the woke agenda in our schools should be a priority. Making sure that we don't have ESG or CRT or DEI around should be a priority. Uh, Medical freedom should be a priority. Making sure there's no more COVID tyranny ever again. But Randy, they're not moving those. My point is they're not moving those bills. It behind the you know behind this in the smoke-filled back chambers of the Senate, those bills are not being moved. They've moved they've moved one priority this year. They have moved education reform. Okay, that's one, and it's now on the Senate floor next week for debate. But you know what the Senate leader did? He put the FRA tax renewal bill ahead of it. That's another hugely controversial bill because many of the pro-lifers believe it doesn't have the anti-abortion language in it. Whether whether you agree with them or not, the pro-lifers, which is the Freedom Caucus and beyond, you know, most Republicans, they want that language on it. Well, the Senate leader, the Senate leader on Thursday, he had the choice to put the education reform bill next up for debate or this hugely controversial abortion FRA bill. He chose to put the abortion FRA bill ahead of the education bill. So, Randy, they're playing parlor games up there. That's what leadership's doing okay. instead of advancing conservative priorities. All right, there's Tim Jones. You hear uh, that and all of that and more every day here from 4 to 6 with the Tim Jones and Chris Harp Show. Uh, Tim, I want to ask you about the burn your bridges uh, back talk I hear in terms of not the strategy that you've talked about, but tactically. And I hear that when I talk to people that are in and around the Capitol, um, good people who are saying, hey, just the way they're, they're they, the Freedom Caucus, are conducting business, 
uh, burning bridges. We'll talk about that and then pivot to uh, to national thoughts as things seem to coalesce behind Donald Trump. If you've got a few more minutes as we wrap it up, can you hang with me? I can hang, Andy. I'd be happy to. My pleasure. All right, let's do that. And uh, as always, it's a it's a real pleasure to talk with someone who's been there and done that. That's Tim Jones, former Speaker of the Missouri House. So he knows a little bit about how governance in Missouri works. <laughs> it's 841. We'll be back and wrap it up with Tim here on the Tobler Show. Stay there. Hey, can we talk about your teeth and about uh, your gums and about the health of everything in your oral cavity and around it, including the muscles that make those chompers work? That's what they can address all the way around holistic dental care all the way around everything globally advanced dentistry of st charles that's who they are they are my dentist they have been for years and whether it's uh, dr daniel Cusimano, dr megan dwyer dr jay almost they all do a fabulous job there uh when i go there i learn even though i think i know a little bit about this i learn more every time and i get extraordinary treatment just recently i had a little problem i called over there and they were help, able to solve my problem and get at it right away that's the kind of service you expect and deserve. That's the kind of service they deliver and are committed to at Advanced Dentistry of St. Charles. And, and you know, the new uh, technique of uh, releasing some of that tension and that grinding from those muscles that uh, that uh, that can really wear down your teeth and cause all kinds of problems, including TMJ dysfunction. Uh, Megan and Dan were on with me recently and we talked about some Botox treatments for that. So, man, they are just continuing to expand their services. And I know they've got some exciting things up their sleeve that we will be uh, talking about in the coming months as well advanced dentistry of st charles the place to go for your teeth on the for the whole family by the way the whole family and uh you make sure you get in touch with them the number is 9780226 that's 6369780226 advanceddentistrynow.com Welcome back to the program as we continue the conversation with Tim Jones. You hear Tim, of course, with Chris every weekday here from 4 to 6 on News Talk STL. And Tim, we have a caller who wanted to ask a question, and I wanted to uh, to get him on because he's a caller who isn't really uh, – in in lockstep, I understand with uh, most Republican sentimentality. So let's uh, let's see what he has to ask. Go ahead. Actually, Ron, I was talking problem. to him on the break, and um, I think he wants to finish listening to Tim's final thoughts, and then he's going to call us back afterwards and uh, kind of weigh in. That's on fine. Him. Well, then, we're, okay, I was going to give him a chance because Tim, it's always good to get the other side and get some some other views on because the echo chamber effect can be dangerous. We've seen that. Uh, in the last couple of election cycles. I wanted to ask you about that. Uh, MAGA candidates have not done that well. Uh, Kerry Lake didn't do well. Now, was that election circumstances? Was it sentiments, you know, midterms? And then, of course, 23 didn't go as well. Uh, How do you explain that? And what can be done about it to change that tide this cycle? Well, Randy, I would uh, push back that on that a little bit, you know, and say that, you know, conservatism, I think, has done well in the country. And we did not have a red wave in 2022. And no one no one should have ever said we were going to anyway. Right, Randy? Randy, our, our elections yeah. got so polarized. They're always going right. to turn on a knife's edge. But look at where republicanism, conservatism did pick up victories in this country. Unlikely places. We would not have a U.S. House majority right now. If the people, the good folks of New York had not chosen more Republican congressmen and women than they ever had in recent history. So, Randy, that's what happens when you hit rock bottom, right? New York has been Mm -hmm. bleeding people and prosperity and opportunity for several decades now. And you don't take my word for it. Look at all of the statistics, all of the nonpartisan statistics on this. Look at the U-Haul statistics that came out at the end of the year. More people 
are leaving New York and California than any other state in the nation. So when a place does hit rock bottom, as long as there's enough sane people left, uh, they will turn and they will look at Republicans to fix all the carnage that the, this this left left leaning and left lurching Democratic yeah. Party has done to the country. And Randy in Florida. Florida, in our lifetimes, not that long ago, was considered a bellwether state. It was a purple state, right? And look at how the demographics of Florida have changed. Uh, Florida's Hispanic American population has boomed. It has it has really exploded over the last few years. And Democrats, because they're nothing but rabid racists, they just presumed, well, all Hispanic Americans vote for Democrats, so we've got Florida all locked down. Randy, the opposite has happened. People who have been making their way legally in this country and 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 building wealth and families and businesses, uh, all the Hispanic American, uh, I shouldn't say all, right? The the, the majority uh, of the the newer Hispanic American voter, they're voting for the Republican Party, and that's proven by Florida. You uh, you don't got Miami Dade. Miami Dade has now been voting for Republicans in the last cycle, so. You know, the, the racists in the Democratic Party were wrong. You cannot treat voting blocks as that just because of how people look. And so it but but for those big victories in Florida and New York, uh, Republicans would not be in the majority in the U.S. House. Now, do we need to do more? Yes, we do. Uh, and if you look at all the recent polling, um, you know, you can take polling with a grain of salt or you can look at where it's been right. It was right. It, the polling hit the bullseye in iowa last week uh and if you look and if you if you if you trust that and then you look at what's happening for this electoral cycle uh donald trump and republicans are more popular now amongst pretty much every demographic group the the approval ratings are higher than they've ever been and the opposite is true of the democrats the democrats policies finally have been on full display for the last three years full display they've gotten to pretty much do whatever they wanted and it's been an epic disaster for the country. Nearly 70 percent of Americans are not happy with the direction of the country as Joe Biden's approval rating heads towards 30 percent, the lowest ever for a modern day president. Well, you're right. And tomorrow is uh, the anniversary of one of the most tragic days in American history, Tim. That's the inauguration of Joseph Biden to the president of the United <laughs> States three years ago. <laughs> Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's sort of a nine 11 of sorts, you know, uh, <laughs> um, yes. his border policies have certainly resulted in, you know, carnage down on the border and fentanyl crisis and everything else. What are your thoughts about vice presidential, uh, uh, the pick for, for Donald Trump, assuming that he's, he's going to get the nomination? You know, Randy, not that he needs to do this, and I don't like to fall into the uh, trap of, you know, hyphenated America, which is what the lunatic left always advocates for. They really they really don't care about people's merit or their character or their abilities. It's all about what they look like. The Democratic Party, Randy, you and I have discussed this many times. They've always been the racists in America, and they continue to be the racists. They treat, they treat people like political pawns. You know, Randy, that all being said, you know, I, I've been hearing the chatter that the Trump team is is looking to expand the demographics. Let's say it that way, right? And I think that's wise, right? And they're they're looking at whether uh, uh, a woman, uh, a vice presidential running mate, or a person of color might be the correct pick. And Randy, you know what? If they're the right person, then go for it because you know what that does. 
it, it's not affirmative action. It's it's not it's not doing what the dastardly Democrats do. It's expanding the tent, right? It's expanding the tent because right. there are and and see that's the, the narrative of the left is that conservatives, MAGA, Republicans, whatever you want to, whatever label uh, they want to turn into a pejorative because they they hate all Republicans, Randy. Let's not let's not fool ourselves with that. It doesn't matter if you're MAGA or you're Mitt Romney, right? They they right, will hate right. you if you're running for president, right? And so no the narrative is only only us older white guys, right, are are Republicans these days. That's not true. So if there is a a woman, a person of color out there that Donald Trump says, you know, I can work with this person. I'd love to have them by my side and they're qualified. If that expands the tent and continues to enlarge those demographics I was talking about, then let's do it. I'm all for it. You know, absolutely. Indeed. Yeah. yeah. A lot of good names. We got Elise Stefanik. Uh, you know, we yep. got Christy Nome, Tim Scott, uh, Byron Donalds. I can think of a. I can think of a cast of a thousands that. Uh, and then we could be looking at twelve years if it works out right. Twelve years. Hey Tim, we got to run. Thank you, my friend, for answering some uh, some tough questions that I think are concerning a lot of us about. Man, we got to get together. We got to get stuff done. Both at the state and the national level. We'll continue to be listening to you every Monday through Friday, four to six here on the Chris, on the Tim Jones and Chris Arp show. Thank you, my friend. Have a warm weekend. Hope you stay warm. Thank you, Randy. It's always a pleasure, honor, privilege to be with you. Awesome show. Enjoyed it. Enjoyed it. There he is, Tim Jones. Well, that wraps it up, guys. Man, what a power pack show. Hope you can uh, reprise this on the podcast as you stay, uh, stay in touch with us. We'll stay in touch with you on Twitter at Randy Tober, MD. And see you next week, God willing. Have a great weekend and a great week.